live from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Julia Klein, Mike Miller, Roberto Montano, and Ryan Yantis. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, specifically the Paul and Angel Harvey Radio Center, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8229. That's 1-800-723-8229. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's brucedumont at museum.tv. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at dumo, at D-U-M-O. And, of course, you can join us on the World Wide Web at beyondthebeltway.com. We have lots to talk about. It's been a very busy week again in this country. And uh, let's begin by getting everybody's reaction to the uh, U.S. and uh, French and uh, British uh, response uh, to the uh, uh, gas attacks uh, allegedly purported by uh, the world. And uh, my question to you is, Ryan Yantis, you're a lieutenant colonel retired in the United States Army. What's your reaction to the strike, and did it do what it should have done? Evening, Bruce. Glad to be here. Um, And thanks for a good question to start things out. Short answer is uh, it was a well-put-together coalition effort uh, with very limited scope and intent, and it's going to have equal limited scope and uh, effect in Syria. The only way to really hurt the Syrians is to strip away one of their major capabilities where they enjoy an advantage, and that would be their air force. Roberto Montano also joins us. You are... uh have served your country well, so you have uh, reason to offer your assessment, and it is what? Uh, Well, thanks. Happy to be here. Um, Just wanted to say that uh, this, you know, this was a very limited strike. It, uh, it unfortunately, in my opinion, makes uh, Putin stronger domestically. It makes Assad stronger domestically. Strategically, it's a loss. Tactically, excellent execution. Hands off. Hats off to all of our our troops overseas. Well, why is it a loss? Uh, well, strategically, it makes our enemy stronger. And when you do something that makes your enemy stronger, like um, the naval base that the Russians have now is going to be fortified, and Assad just... Um, when, when, when Assad takes the battle and, and, and makes it from a civil war into international conflict, it brings him more resources. And we didn't, um, we didn't gain anything on the ground. In fact... The place that was attacked with the chemical strike is now completely in Assad's hands. So we 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 made a statement, and but I mean the the, the good thing about this strike is that it reminds the world that chemical attacks are off the table. But in terms of Assad, that's he's not even Mike Miller. About it. Uh, we're hearing him. Roberto suggests that this is more bravado and not much behind it. Do you agree with that? I'm, I'm just so torn on this. It's, it's like a love-hate relationship with, uh, with Mr. Trump. He certainly pulled it off well. He had two allies there. But many of us who are conservative wonder, is this really what we want to do, become more involved in, a, in the Middle East? But if you're going to do it, you should do it right. But if we had our allies with us, why didn't our allies do it? Why do we always have to be the one that takes the lead? The problem is a Middle East problem. I'd love to have seen that the Saudis would take more of an active role in this or... 
that the British and the French would have done it by themselves? Why not? Why? So uh, really torn. Really, it's just always the case with him. Julia Klein, you're our card-carrying Democrat this evening. Your response? Yeah, I gotta say, I, I, I'm on the board with what Michael was saying. Why are we always taking the lead? I, I, I'm, I'm a dove. <laughs> I, no doubt about that. While I, uh, as Roberto said, I'm grateful for and thankful to all who individuals who serve, and. I really think that the United States isn't doing ourselves or anybody else around the world a favor by constantly feeling as though we've got to be everybody's mommy and daddy with our big guns. So gassing women and children, I don't want to say it's okay, but you can look at those pictures and not be as moved as the president. No, it's certainly not okay. And, of course, it is, um, it, it's, it's deeply disturbing. But I'll suggest uh, that if what we really want to do is save the lives of those women and children who were gassed, how about we throw open our doors to more refugees? Hmm. We had 16,000 of them in 2016. I heard today that I can't believe it's accurate. I didn't have time to check it. But in 2018, we've only allowed in 11 Syrian refugees. Does this, uh, does, does this bother you, uh, Mike? That, again, you know, the president seems to be moved by gassing of women and children. But, again, you can see those women and children in refugee camps uh, all over that area, yeah. and we're not welcoming them here. It, it, again, this is the part I'm, I'm just so torn. Normally I have, a, I have very strong opinions on almost everything. Yeah. This I'm so torn, partly because I, I think the world has put a line when it comes to chemical weapons. But again, if it's so clear that chemical weapons are the problem, why wouldn't another country necessarily have taken the lead? Is but if you also look at when people are killed by conventional weapons, that, too. that tears their bodies apart, mm-hmm. it's just, I mean, they're still dead. They're just as dead. And it's happened Right, what's people. the answer to that? that? That there seems to be outrage over gassing, whereas uh, conventional we- weapons killed women and children all the time. Yeah, and we're not, and we're not and moved Mike, by that. Mike had it very pithy and very correct. Dead is dead. Uh, the the means of killing a person is just that. It's the means. Um, the insidiousness of uh, surviving a chemical attack um, is horrific. Okay, it, it is chemical burns within the body, or it is uh, some sort of effect to the the body that's beyond just something that uh, uh, sutures and, and therapy can can cure. Does it, does it bother you that this attack and strike took place prior to reports from those that were going into Syria to, to have a first-hand look at what happened? We, we, well, sort of, they, they, we, we jumped the gun. We believed what happened before we had absolute positive evidence that it did happen. Is that correct? This, this requires that you have faith in that the military and intelligence community had access to information, and they said, here's the, the proof that we need, our threshold of proof. Uh, we don't need to rely on an international organization that's been in Syria several times on pre-announced inspections and has failed to come up with uh, proof, but we've had incidences of chemical weapon use by the Assad regime. But does it, does it meet your level of, of proof? My Are personal, you comfortable no. with it? No. And it doesn't it, meet it? No. Well, it, the unfortunate thing about the Syrian civil war, and you put it in quote marks as far as the civil war, because uh, that assumes that the Assad government is a legitimate government. Mm-hmm. We have been seeing the, the ripple effect of the Arab Spring being fought over for uh, the past, what, seven years. And uh, f- close to a half million people have died. Uh, a million or so have been displaced. 
and the international community, some have stepped forward, some have, have led. One of the problems in being the, a world superpower or being the leader of the, the free world is you have to lead. You have to go but, and do. But should there, Roberto, should there, have, should there be a mechanism that is more instantly verifiable? Um, because I don't know whether there's been a lot of confirming evidence that this happened. You know, I'm talking about the gassing now. Sure. Do you would you like to see? Would you like to absolutely? Or let me put it this way: In your heart, do you absolutely, positively believe that Syria did gas its women and children? I don't doubt it at all. I mean, it's happened a okay. couple times already, and there's reason to believe that people like Theresa May would not risk their political capital. She has to go before the before her parliament right. in like four hours and explain that. She would have rolled the dice on, on the maybe. We're going to pause 1-800-723-8029. The Syrian airstrikes. Did you support them? 1-800-723-8289. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. Uh, the president in his tweet about the Syrian airstrikes said he used the term mission accomplished, which was the same term used by George Bush uh, a couple of years ago involving Iraq. And, and Mike Miller, uh, of all the things he could have tweeted, why did he say that? Because it just it brings back bad memories. And it's a memory, it's a bad memory about a lie. The mission accomplished banner was for that ship, that yeah. they had completed their mission. Right. Their mission was complete. And and, we, and it was turned into something it was not. It was a lie. And this was a perfectly sound thing. Mr. Trump wanted to hit this place, destroy those facilities. He did exactly that. Mission accomplished. Ryan, is, is it true that that is a specific military term and, and military people will not overreact to the use of that term because for this particular uh, strike, uh, it was accomplished because it was so uh, so focused. And no, I don't think it's a precise military term within the doctrinal band. Okay. Because they were saying that this morning on the show. Well, it's a commonly accepted military term. Hey, this mission's accomplished. Let's move on to the next. And uh, I think Mike hit it right on the, the head. Very specific uh, to this uh, set of targets uh, with the coalition strike. And, you know, for example, they keep talking about the uh, airstrike. Well, it was a missile strike by and large. Some of them launched mm-hmm. from aircraft, some from uh, ships and submarines. Now, the Syrians said they shot some down, but we are not acknowledging that there were any shoot-downs. Um, I have not seen anything or read anything credible to indicate that the Syrians are telling the truth about knocking down any of the incoming coalition missiles. Do you believe that, uh, does anybody believe that the Russians were warned in advance what was going to happen so that if they had, uh, they did not, Russia did not attempt to shoot anyone down according to what we know now? Did did that just happen coincidentally? Why would they? It's in their interest to have their ally be strengthened and closer to them, right? If America's threatening you, if and, if, and you're Assad... Not so you're not... Per- so what I'm saying is that Russia did not go out of their way to protect... No, Ru- Russia, Russia wants a stronger relationship with Assad. So if they show that there's some vulnerability out there, well, guess what? Now Assad will be much more likely to continue the extension of the naval rights. Like Assad is... This is a proxy battle. As, as, and if I could go back to the mission accomplished, what was the mission? 
if the mission is re- regime change through political it wasn't purpose, okay. it wasn't well well that used to be the mission right that that generally was know. the mission i don't know i don't know i don't know that's been the mission no? there I don't know if I've so ever heard that. I, I think, yeah, I know I'm the designated Trump hater at the table, <laughs> and I'm, that's the role I'm supposed to play. But no, you don't have to play that role. <laughs> if you want to convert on the air, I mean, uh, you can do that. Well, I, uh, Hallelujah! Where's the snakes? I, I'm, I'm, cer- I'm certainly not converting. I'll, I'll, I'll be doing plenty of pointing out, you know, t- Trump's disasters as the night goes on. But with regards mm-hmm. to this one specific thing, I think I, I'm, I'm going to not bash him while I also criticize him. And it, that is that in Trump's very small little mind, the mission was nothing more than our missiles are going to hit the things that they were supposed to. Or was it a distraction for and, all and other that, issues that, he's got that going that on? Happened. Was that but, the mission? No. And, and so that, that, it, that, as far as he's concerned, it was like, did our, did our guns go off in the right way? And did they hit the right things? Yes, they did. Yay us. Now, the way in which yes, I'm going to... Yes, but did they do anything? I heard Roberto say that he challenged, he doesn't agree with this, is... Did they do anything that is going to keep them from using uh, uh, gas again in the future, whether it's two weeks from now or two months from now? Well, if we did believe- they completely obliterate all aspects of of, uh, of gas? Uh, and and I've heard on the the morning shows they didn't do that. Well, so we, they, they 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 left them to fight a another fight. They- and I and frankly, uh, as as someone, if you're going to go and fight a battle, I'd say. Get in there and get rid of it. Certainly, chlorine is something you can easily come upon and, and use again. However, the way it was it was reported, they went after the place where they were doing the research, they went after the place where they were doing the production, and they went after the place where they were distributing the weapon. So you hit all three levels, which would make it harder for them to do it, say, in the next six months. But you missed the airport. You missed where the Air Force is going to drop their their other ordinance, and that would have been an essential link in the delivery system. That circles back to what I said. If you really want to hurt him, take away his Air Force. Right. Um, And there were three discrete targets, as far as I understand it, that were hit uh, by these 105 munitions. Mm -hmm. And because of the structures, some of them being uh, below-ground bunkers, there's a certain amount of penetration that you have to achieve before you can hit Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. or they're hardened above-ground structures, same way. Um, And to what Mike said, if you have a couple of big vats of uh, chlorine that is down in the, the uh, docks, uh, that can easily be taken and weaponized. Assad and his people have shown great adaptability. If we can't import bombs, we're going to take 55-gallon barrels, mm-hmm. fill them with shrapnel, fill them with explosives, put some fuel in it, and drop it out of a helicopter. It ain't a smart bomb, but it will blow up and kill people. I want to go, I want to go back to the video of women and children, primarily children, being attended to by by, uh, uh, medical uh, uh, activity there. Um, These are video. Where's the verification of that the video was real? I mean, there are people in this country, there are people listening to this program this evening, probably not too many of them, but you know they don't they don't believe we landed a man on the moon. Mm-hmm. They thought that was done on a Hollywood lot. I looked at these pictures. I was obviously offended that that women and children would be gassed, but I never got the clarification of exactly who verified that this happened. And clearly, we have, and this is this is the second example of which that this president is moved by video. He's moved by pictures, 
And I'm wondering, I'm not suggesting that he was hoodwinked. I don't think he was hoodwinked here. Well, we had some but evidence. could he be hoodwinked? I, I had, my understanding is that the French would have never been involved in this strike mm-hmm. were they not convinced. Given their position in that part of the world, they had people on the ground, and they were convinced that Assad was behind it, and it did happen. And the video be damned. One way or the other, we know that this occurred. And therefore, the French, along with the British, were involved. I just wish, again, that the two of them could have done it without us. But, but, um, and I under, I, it, It's interesting that so many of us have become so uh, untrusting of uh, everything the government says. Mm-hmm. I fully but understand if, it, but uh, wow. Th- this, this is a, uh, a tweet that's come in from uh, Ron Babcock, who's listening to the program. If the Syrians were rational, they'd realize that if they used uh, chemical uh, weapons again... The next strike would be appreciably larger. And so we go on. I mean, I guess my question is, if they knew there was going to be this response, why did they do it? Because they got Duma, which is a strategic gain. The the, the rebels have have fled uh, Duma, which which was the the piece of dirt that they wanted. And they're not coming back. They've They've been pushed out. Now, Syria, Assad does not control his country. He might have half of it, or, or 55, 60 mm-hmm. percent of it, and there's a lot of it in contention. The Kurds are active, the rebels are active, so he'll use it again if he if he feels he needs to, because nothing strategic was taken from him. What was in in the, in the war of words beyond the tweets by the president? There was the very strong words of Nikki Haley at the UN. Julia, what did you think of Ambassador Haley? and the way she's conducted herself in laying out the case against Russia and putting uh, uh, Vladimir Putin basically on the hot seat, at least intellectually. Yeah, well, I've traditionally found Nikki Haley to be um, less deceitful than I find many other members of this administration to be. So when uh, when she, and I, I find it interesting that you know Nikki Haley absolutely, as well as a couple of representatives from the Pentagon, came out this morning and said, we absolutely hit the things that we said we were going to hit, mm-hmm. and yet we go around this table today and there's not unanimous agreement that that is what happened. In, in, in other words, what we're saying is that even the five of us in this room are not willing to believe our ambassador to the U.N. and our representatives from the Pentagon when they tell us that a, a military uh, exercise was carried out the way they're saying it was. So, Ryan, you're shaking your head. No, because the... Uh, I was listening to the uh, Pentagon uh, press briefing on this, and uh, the Marine General, and I was trying to find his name, Lieutenant General. Ken McKenzie. I believe you're right, but he said very clearly that, uh, uh, look, we took out these three targets. This is in no way going to take away all of Assad's chemical weapon capability. There's too much space. There's too many places to hide things. But this has severely damaged their capabilities, and it sent them a strong warning. Now, all that said... I'll circle back. If you really want to get Assad's attention, if you really want to hurt and, and change the game, take away his Air Force. Mm-hmm. Take away his capability. Can we the- take away his Air Force without energizing Russia? No. I don't think so. No, no. it's a proxy war. He's their guy. So Putin's been in power for about 20 years. He just got reelected, quote unquote, <laughs> for six more years. He is rock solid domestically. And so there's nothing. I mean, we're really looking at a puppet state. It's not even a state. Um, so but you mentioned that you thought that uh, Syria was stronger. But there was a vote in the uh, United Nations. Uh-huh. Three voted for uh-huh. Syria. China, Russia, and Syria. No, Everybody, Bolivia. Uh, Bolivia, I'm sorry. 
in yeah. Bolivia. That was a surprise, Bolivia. Yeah. So uh, uh, you would have thought that a whole bunch of Arab nations or Islamic nations would have? No. I think everybody thinks that it's a disgusting thing that he did. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and he's not somebody that they want to be standing behind. But well, Iran supports him. But layer on of that. Co- of course they do, because yeah. they want to get their foot in that part right. of the world. Yeah. Well, they, they have their foot in that yeah, part they of the do. world, but Alawites, uh, Assad is an Alawite, which is a Muslim Shia. faction. Right. 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 So yeah. they have alignment. We are going to pause. We have been talking about the missile strike against Syria thus far on our broadcast. A little bit later on, we're going to be joined by Robert Pape from the University of Chicago, author of the book Bombing to Win. We're going to talk about the air power that was used and the air power that uh, we sort of sat on uh, in the raid uh, over the weekend. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about another raid, a raid probably the president wants to forget on Michael Cohen. Back shortly. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Before we continue, I would like to uh, uh, extend, I think I speak for a lot of people in in, uh, sending uh, uh, prayers and and wishes to Barbara uh, Bush. Uh, The former president uh, announced uh, this afternoon that Barbara Bush has uh, declined or her health is declining and she is rejecting all future uh, attempts uh, uh, at at life extension. And so we offer our condolences uh, the family during this very difficult time. Uh, she is still with us, but again, she is in very bad shape, and so uh, we wish her well. Amen. Also, we do this program every Sunday night uh, from the National Radio Hall of Fame. We do it from the Paul and Angel Harvey Radio Studio this evening, and the Art LeBeau Control Room sends the signal of this broadcast uh, to all nations, uh, or all stations all over the country every Sunday night. And the Hall of Fame lost someone yesterday, Art Bell. Uh, of Coast to Coast fame, who was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2008, a man who took a day part uh, in in the radio business overnights uh, when very few people spend any attention to putting programming on there that's worthy. And Art Bell discovered that uh, there was a day part where he could talk to his fans. His fans were, um, were huge. The ratings for that show and the impact that Art Bell had on contemporary radio was significant. So he passed away at age 72 yesterday. Our condolences to his family. I mentioned that uh, before the break, we were talking about the Syrian raid. But the other raid last week was the raid by the FBI in the offices of Michael Cohen, who is the personal attorney for Donald Trump. What does that mean to you, Julia? Did you throw a party? Did you get all your liberal friends together and have a little party that night? 
No. Uh, what it means is that Donald Trump's goose is cooked, and it's um, cooked in many more ways and in far more thoroughly than it has been before. Such as? Well, first of all, it uh, was carried out um, through the Southern District of New York. So Donald Trump has no ability to pardon Michael Cohen for anything that they might be deciding to charge him with. Um, so I think the biggest... I thought the president can pardon anybody for anything federal at any time. Offenses. Only federal, not state. Federal offenses, okay. So I think that the single biggest concern that Donald Trump has at this moment in time is that Michael Cohen personally did enough wrong that he's going to be facing enough years in prison that they are going to get him to flip. Uh, that's, the, I think, the single greatest jeopardy that Donald Trump is in, and I think it's extraordinarily ra- uh, um, real. Uh, it's, it's no longer uh, liberal hyperventilating and just trying to make Trump look bad to assert that. Um, th- there's, uh, but what is the, what is the, what's the smoking gun? What is the evidence that you think he has that will sink Donald Trump? I, He's been his attorney for a long time. Uh, he also took uh, took uh, tapes, recorded some of the conversations. Mm-hmm. So it is the personal attorney having. Are, are you worried about client, uh, you know, attorney uh, relationships? Well, an integral part, a key part of our judicial system being basically discarded here. Uh, so that's two very different questions. Of course, I am very concerned about ma- maintaining attorney-client privilege because, as you said, it's an integral part of our justice system. Right. I'm not the slightest bit concerned about it having been violated in this case for two primary reasons. Number one, attorney-client privilege only applies in a case in which the attorney in question is providing legal services. And what many have asserted is that much of what is that, that uh, Michael Cohen was barely an attorney and that most of Ooh. what he did for Donald oh. Trump was outside of legal practice anyway. That the things that that, that uh, by his own he's admission a he's a fixer. That means he's doing illegal things. He's not yeah. functioning as an attorney. He's not. He's not. Oh, subject a fixer to does. A fixer doesn't always do illegal things. No, they mostly a, fi- do. a fixer. A fixer is someone that knows how to get things done. And, and Mike the, Miller, you're sort of cringing as well, Julia speaks. Wow, this is a man that. I bet uh, 98% of the Americans have never heard of, and now we're impugning him as though he's some kind of monster, and we know absolutely nothing about him. Wow. I hope to heck I never get into the press, and people start doing that about me. And In terms of the, uh, the attorney-client oh. privilege, that is a concern. What is so concerning is the New York Times said, well, if you have nothing to hide, why would you care about it? I, I swear when people, anything has to do with Trump, a man, I, as you know, I did not vote for. Nope. They completely lose their minds. There are no people lose all principle. It is to get Trump, no matter what, to accept anything negative about him, even if it's preposterous. Because if it really had to do with Russia, Mueller would have done it himself. He took it to the southern uh, of New York, partly because it could be something that Cohen did wrong, as Cohen having nothing to do with Mr. Trump. Well, allegedly, it has to do with uh, the paperwork oh. uh, on the uh, on the Stormy Daniels. Yes, of course. Or any other payoffs he may have made to women or prostit- uh, prostitutes who had allegations against the president. And I would he simply was say, a guy who was involved in that. Yes. He's acknowledged his role sure, in that. Sure, but I'll only say, listen to Alan Dershowitz on this whole thing. A, a good liberal, but a very principled yeah. protector of, of civil rights. Uh, which I believe that I want to be as well. And I just think people have lost their minds. It, it, it's becoming crazy to the point of, of, of good people violating their own principles in, to hate him. In, in this particular case, the, the, the magistrate 
who made the decision is an apolitical magistrate what I hear. who gave the FBI mm-hmm. the right to do it. They, he yep. signed off on the, on the raid. Yes. And those people in that office were appointed by Donald Trump recently. Mm-hmm. So you have a potentially politically friendly Southern District of, of New York making this raid. Sure. And, and you put in front of that, you know, you know the, the thought that President Trump has usually tried to point fingers and blame people at FBI or the Justice Department for their political concerns. Yeah. In this particular case, they all to be they appear to be people who were Trump Republicans. Yeah, they still came to the conclusion, at least to say, let's. So the so whatever they presented as cause to go into Michael Cohen's office, Mm -hmm. I would think would have to be pretty strong, extremely compelling. So Jeffrey Jeffrey Bernan, who you're talking about, donated to Trump, was appointed by Trump, which is fine. You can have whatever political views you want, and he was appointed by a, a Trump Republican district attorney, supervised by a Republican attorney general. And or it was all ordered by Republican special counsel, but it's not about Republican or Democrat. It's about there's a pattern that they're going to go after regardless of where it leads, and, and that's a good thing. Ryan. Okay, and uh, the due process was followed. There is Absolutely. a preponderance of credible evidence that they have probable cause. They went through the process. Uh, they are following the law, which is the bedrock of what we need to do, Okay. The assumption is one of innocence until proven guilty. So Mr. Cohen is innocent until we continue that process if he is found guilty. Um, The one aspect that I found interesting, it wasn't just his office. It was his home and reported to also be his hotel Hotel, room. Right. um, And he was monitored for months. And and they had to have that probable cause. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that does make uh, that process somewhat bulletproof or having high fidelity and credibility. I think uh, I'll agree with Michael. There, there is this um, so strident anti-Trump hatred and, and, and disclaimer. I didn't vote for the fellow either, but due process. I, I want to make the co- I want to make the point that you didn't vote for me. Then just one hundred percent guilty as charged. I hate the guy. No, mm-hmm. no, 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 no doubt about that. And I want to make the point, though, and I think that it, it certainly applies to me, and I think that it applies to many people who feel very strongly against our current president, and that is that the reason that I hate him is because in June of 2016, I started seeing videotape of this orange airbag talking smack about people who live in this country, and it made me furious. So to the extent that I revile him, it is because of the words that have come out of his mouth. Such as, be specific. We all know the we're words, talk about the, the, uh, the, the rotten Mexicans and the immigrant uh, ban. And I don't the, think you know, he ever used, so I don't think he ever used the term rotten Mexicans. And, there, and, there, and there's bad things on both sides. I, do, I wow. don't. But, but, but. One, one statement. I'll give you, Mike, one unfortunate one. statement that Hillary Clinton made. Okay. And she Donald that. Trump over she and over and over and over. Well, and, and fine. Yeah. She, and you know what? I do, too. I I'm believe deplorable. that they're deplorable oh, as well. Oh, my gosh. I believe they're de- deplorable as well. Oh, but she, it was one single statement. Donald Trump's <laughs> statements repeated, personally. incessant, oh, no, relentless against numerous groups in this country, wow. uh, you know, shameless you know, stamping on Did, the Constitution. Over so you believe that every so then you so then you have say. that same level of hatred for the 62 million people who voted for him? No. 
I didn't. I, I to feel to feel that they Why are not? deplorable they? doesn't mean that I hate them. Oh, but they're irredeemable. So they don't even have a soul. So know. what's the difference? It, it, that's not all. Uh, don't put words in my mouth. No, that's, I'm not putting. That's Hillary Clinton's words. But that, uh, those are not mine. I, so don't put words in my mouth. I said that I feel that that those people are deplorable. Okay. It doesn't mean that I hate them. It doesn't mean I think they're irredeemable or they don't have a soul. But the okay. discussion is about Donald Trump and it's about Michael Cohen. And I actually agree with you that people are losing their minds over Donald Trump. Yes, but they I are. think that is because he no. has a um, uh, a tremendous capacity for bringing out the absolute votes. worst in people. Over mm. and over and over again, people that are around him, are, they are their character is destroyed after having how had you, an engagement with Donald how Trump. How do you, uh, again, we're, we're getting a little far afield here, but, I, but I've not heard anybody that vehement uh, on the subject yeah. on this broadcast. So my, my question is, if, if there are people in this country who support legal immigration but vehemently oppose illegal immigration. And you are one, and I am one. Why are those people evil? Because they want to enforce the laws of this country as far as those who come to the country and how they come here. Why are people that are strong law and order people as to who's coming into the country, we want them to come in legally, why are those people evil? Or deplorable. I want you, we're going to break here, and I want to come back and answer that question because I think you're probably talking about the vast majority of the people who are listening to this broadcast tonight. And let's not conflate uh, illegal immigration with legal immigration. Back shortly from Chicago. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, the experience. Tuesday through Sundays, and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Not a fee. Back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. Um, Julie, I said before the break... Uh, you uh, were vehement in your dislike or hatred for the President of the United States. You cast dispersions on those people that have voted for him as well, many of which are listening to this broadcast. And I gave you a specific example of people who feel that they support uh, legal immigration into this country. They don't support illegal immigration. They think if you break a law, you should be penalized. You should pay a price for it. And there's a lot of people on the on the left and in the Democratic Party who don't seem to think they should do that. So why are people who want to enforce the immigration laws, why are they so deplorable and why do they have this level of venom that you spew at them? The reason why is because um, not all but many of those who hold the views that you just explained also hold a loose you know, criterion around issues of discrimination. It, there are some who want to enforce legal immigration and who are strident defenders of constitutional rights and equality, and they just absolutely will not tolerate any kind of discrimination whatsoever. However, there are enough, and we've got so many stories about ICE agents on the border 
harassing people with brown skin and uh, Mexican-sounding names who are perfectly legal citizens, that it is a legitimate cause for concern. So what I would say is that what I would like to see is for those of you, those people who you just described who uh, support legal but they don't want illegal, it, it behooves those people, and I would imagine it describes yourself, uh, to uh, stridently call for uh, strong measures to ensure that all immigration efforts are done without a modicum of discrimination, and that extreme- I don't, I don't think, I don't think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that that has oh, happened. And, and by the way, when you there's talk about thi- when you talk about things that are horrible, and we would agree on this, when I read the stories and see the pictures of of the coyotes. Uh, and people dying because there's too many people crammed into a van uh, because they, they want to get in the United States. I understand that, and I think that's horrible. But the fact that you have a law, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's back to a law. You either have a law and you either enforce it or you don't enforce it. Well, but pres- and it seems to me that the Democrats frequently look for other ways to, to look the other way when someone is breaking the law. No, it's I- like you're worried about insulting your own constituency group because you have a lot of people in your constituency group that may not care much for the law. No, you're, you're, I, I, I want you to acknowledge the point that I just made. And while it's my view, and I can't claim to speak for every Democrat in the country, however, I think that there are very few Democrats who would say that it's perfectly okay with us when people break the law. There are very few that are perfectly okay with people breaking the law. What the problem is, and I would appreciate if you acknowledge my point that I'm making, the problem comes that when many people, not all, but many, who try to enforce those immigration laws do so while simultaneously being extraordinarily lax about whether or not there's any kind of discrimination going on. And if there was much more attention paid to making sure that there was no discrimination, we we who are opposed to ICE and other enforcement tactics would su- shut the hell up a lot, f- shut the heck up a lot faster. Roberta, where do you come down on yes. this? Immigrants pay taxes. They own property. Yes. They contribute to this country meaningful what ways. What kind of? Oh. Legal or illegal? Both. 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 Oh, so that, that so they so, can so they get, they get a, so they get a no, pass. No, no, no. So, they so, get a pass. But, but what's happening wow. is no. But cool. what I'd like to highlight is. This rhetoric is really about fear-mongering to rally a base. No, it's not. Yes, no, it's it not. is. Of no, course it is. Of course it is. You know, when, when you look at... Why, ca- why, why can't you say, why as a Democrat, why, are you, in, why is it, are you unable to say that if someone breaks the law, they should be penalized for it? Why can't they you should say be that? penalized? I, 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 I just said it. They should be penalized, but that that. So what should that, what should happen should also, at the border when somebody crosses the border into the United States illegally and then goes they go scatter well, somewhere I'll, in the United States? I'll give you an example. Minute. They scatter, go somewhere. They've broken the law. What are you going to do about well, it? They don't scatter because they have family and children here that are usually U.S. citizens. They scatter to other cities. I'm not saying that everybody stays in 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 uh, you know. No, I just, I'm, I'm I, just El Paso. I, I just talked to no. I talked to somebody in Chicago just two weeks ago. You're missing my point. They've come to the United States. They've broken a law. Why are you not upset about that? So most people that come to the United States overstay a visa. They come here legally, and they commit a civil offense. That's not the same as armed robbery. And so the the, the false equivalency of those two is, is misleading. But they and have to have social security numbers, which they, they, they steal, which is a felony. Don't, that's what, and I don't know no, if you've no, had no, the no, trouble no. of, of identity theft. I have. Look, I've had. But you're a, wrong, respectfully. Tax you're absolutely returns wrong. compromised what because of that. What happens is, what happens. Don't is, tell I, me that. You are. I'm an expert on this. I'll tell you why. The Department of Treasury, the IRS, will give you. You fill out form W-7, and you get an ITIN number. 
I that, have one. I that, know about that's, that. That's different. Is then. that okay? But that's different. That makes it okay. No, no, no. What I'm saying is they, they didn't steal a social security number. Oh. They're working under the, social, under the I-10. You can buy a house with the I-10. You can take out a loan with the I-10. Oh. Go back to my point. They've broken the law and they come into the country. Why should they it's not because be punished? It's because, well, punishment has to be proportional. If 90% Give me of a proportion. Give me a proportion. Pay, pay, pay a penalty, a, a significant and penalty. And do any of them do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Really? When and you want to do an adjustment of status, you have to make sure. First of all, they do an extensive background check. You go in and Who? you. Uh, well, it's, it's the, USC, USCIS of the undocumented. USCIS does an extensive background check. You go in, you surrender to inspection, and you pay the fine. Now, if you happen to have children here, they can't petition for you. Your employer can petition for you, and there are multiple ways to come into the country legally. Fine, legally. O- o- overstay a visa. Do it legally. Overstay a visa. I don't. Th- and by run the way, if the people law. if people have overstayed the visa, I'd go after them as well. Right. And I would go after the employees who hire them. And I put the I put the employer. I, I, yeah. The employer. Right, right, I would right. put them in prison. A good reason why we've we got should. a pause. We're I breaking. Understand. We're breaking up for time here. One eight hundred seven two three eighty twenty nine. In the next hour, we're going to spend some time with Robert Pate from the University of Chicago, talking about the uh, the uh, Syrian strikes. And also, we've gone this whole hour without talking about James Comey. Oh He's a big man on campus these days. We're going to talk about him in hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. Thanks for joining us tonight. best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster when floodwaters reach your door when wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood or an earthquake is destroying buildings or is the best time perhaps today during a disaster you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today don't wait communicate brought to you by fema and the ad council Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 760- 799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. 
or visit him online at BrianSellsTheDesert.com. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. We now welcome to our Beyond the Beltway microphones an old friend, uh, Robert Pape. He is a professor uh, of political science at the University of Chicago and founder and director of the Chicago Project on Security and Terrorism. He's author of numerous books, including Bombing to Win, Dying to Win, and Cutting the Fuse, uh, an expert on air power who's been uh, uh, taught at the uh, War College uh, on many occasions and has been a frequent guest on this program. Bob, thanks very much for being with us tonight. Uh, thanks I wanna, for having me, Bruce. I want to get your your assessment of the success of the uh, Syrian strikes in the last 48 hours. Uh, Bruce, these are tactically successful. Our uh, military has, ex- has executed the strikes uh, superbly at the tactical level. But fundamentally, these are pinprick attacks that are not likely to coerce Assad in any meaningful way. Um, first, uh, the strikes themselves um, did not destroy the stocks of chemical weapons that uh, Assad has. Um, and in fact, uh, Russia has plenty of capability to fill in what we did destroy. Uh, part of the reason um, the strikes didn't do very much damage to Assad's chemical weapons is we gave days of warning that the strikes were coming. Um, it doesn't look like we even killed the scientists. So there's really no real meaningful destruction here. Then why, um, did, then why in your view, then quickly. why, why, then in your view, why did the president do what he did? Again, he did telegraph is something he said during the campaign he would never do. He did telegraph there would be a response. Uh, well, why, why was this so is, below what, what uh, it could have been? Well, I think that uh, President Trump has not surrounded himself in the White House with people who are um, very, you know, the, the best professionals at designing coercive campaigns. Um, he has uh, actually had enormous turnover uh, here. Um, and what you're seeing, Bruce, um, is... Uh, a coercive effort that really uh, just um, uh, is floundering. Um, and in fact, it's um, already, you know, with the... Uh, but let me just say that there's a- another big problem here with the strikes, which is these strikes have already brought um, Russia and the Syrian government, that is Putin and Assad, closer together. Uh, Putin is now already, just in the last few hours, essentially... Uh, defending um, uh, Assad quite blatantly. The, the Syrian government is stronger today because of the strike. Uh, they are not weaker because of the strike. Um, so again, in the, 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 yeah. the level of description then, um, because you're talking about the personnel, I mean, uh, uh, allegedly uh, it was John Bolton, it was, you know, first day on the job was basically uh, sort of uh, being the quarterback on this project, although it was General uh, Mattis uh, that really designed this plan, but this does not sound like a, this doesn't sound like much of a plan for a guy whose nickname is Mad Dog. This, this is, is more not like a lapdog. A plan that has any legs 
to it, Bruce. Um, one of the big problems with this uh, whole strike is it's a strike. It's not part of a long-term strategy that has a future. The way you coerce is not what you do today, but you make your opponent fearful of what you're going to do tomorrow. And in order for that to work, there's got to be a strategy for tomorrow. And uh, President Trump, fundamentally, Bruce, has an enormous credibility problem. He's been flip-flopping on Syria. He's been flip-flopping on a lot of uh, national security issues. And so um, if you look out into the future, does anybody really think they know what President Trump is uh, likely to do a month from now if Assad does exactly the same thing? Um, I don't think uh, we do. And that's the problem. That's one of the big problems. And the uh, surrounding yourself with a national security team that seems to change every few months and doesn't even have all the people in place. We don't even have a secretary of state in place. Um, this is just uh, very, very likely not to lead to a coherent long-term strategy. How far can we push uh, in Syria uh, with maybe additional... The president certainly has hinted that if there's another attempt, another use of chemical weapons, that uh, you know this could happen again. Nikki Haley has alluded to that. Um, should that be taken... Is that U.S. foreign policy now, that if someone uses if, chemical weapons, they're going to get hit in some significant way or some way? The limit, the limit to our ability to push in Syria is Russia. Uh, we cannot go further than Russia will let us do. Uh, Russia can use force in retaliation, not necessarily directly, but through proxy. So uh, you see this in Ukraine. Um, we have, Bruce, 2,000 U.S. troops in Syria. They are advisors. They're not protected by heavy combat units like brigades. They're actually just embedded in the local population. Uh, Russia surely knows the coordinates of those 2,000 troops and would only have to give those coordinates to Hezbollah, uh, who has in the past done suicide attacks against our troops, um, to make them vulnerable. So the real limit here is not just um, Syria and Assad, it's Russia. And what we should have been doing with this coercive campaign, if it was going to have any chance of succeeding, is driving a wedge between Assad and Russia, driving a wedge between Putin and uh, uh, Russia and Putin and Syria, not bring them together. And that's exactly what these missile strikes have done. Colonel, uh, yeah. Yeah, Colonel Yantis is here. Ryan Yantis is here. He's got a question for you or a comment. Well, and it's good to hear from you again, uh, Bob. The, uh, the coercive uh, campaign. Uh, one of the previous uh, visits we had here on Beyond the Beltway, I talked about dime in regard to North uh, Korea. You know, diplomatic, mm. um, informational, military, and economic. I understand that there's another round of sanctions being prepared and, and are going to come out against the uh, Russian leadership uh, that was telegraphed out. Uh, what we don't know is what is the contingency plans. And this this operation, and earlier I spoke of it as a, a limited strike, it is incredibly complex in the 105 missiles from three coalition partners coming from multiple platforms and the defensive aircraft that had to be up, the tankers that had to support all the aircraft involved, 
um, it, it was a, a full-on theater ballet to deliver those 105 missiles. Um, uh, yeah, Colonel, I, there is no doubt our, our, our troops, did, our military did a splendid job with a complex tactical problem they were presented. Mm-hmm. I, um, uh, one of my um, uh, um, mil- a military officer who came to the University of Chicago a couple years ago to get his uh, Ph.D., his name is Dan Magruder, he's now commanding U.S. troops in Syria. So I think nothing but the highest, I have nothing but the highest regard for our uh, troops uh, and our military. What I'm saying is that above the decisions of the military is the strategy for coercing, and this is where this is really not uh, uh, likely to work. And Bob Pape, we've got, to put, we've got to pause right now for a commercial break. We'll be right back with Bob Pape and our guests in the studio, 1-800-723-8029, talking about the Syrian airstrike. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, we have our in-guest in-house studios, uh, guests rather, and then we also have Robert Pape joining us on the phone uh, from the University of Chicago. And uh, uh, Bob, a question that we discussed uh, at length in the first uh, portion of our show this evening is, what makes some what makes a woman or child who dies of gas uh, worse than someone who was killed in conventional warfare? Why, why is a gas attack so horrible? Uh, it's horrible because there is absolutely no possibility for those individuals, especially the children, to protect themselves in any meaningful way. The reason this gas is being used, Bruce, is because what Assad is doing is he's trying to force local communities like neighborhoods to, you know, to essentially surrender to him completely and he wants the fighters that are still in these communities to surrender. But rather than try to kill just the fighters, he is um, uh, putting clouds of gas in to smoke out the fighters um, and then also kill all these people uh, uh, at the same time. That's the basic logic of what's happening here on the ground and why Assad is doing it. And he's getting away. He, he has an incentive to do it because he wants to uh, force these surrenders. Um, based 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 really on based on the based people. on the actions, based on the actions over the weekend, uh, the U.S. and Allied response to uh, the most recent gas attack. Do you believe we will see more attacks? If it, if indeed uh, he's think... closer to Russia now, because the way the United States and France and 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 Great Britain responded, why would he not do it again? Uh, I think he's likely to do it again, Bruce, because he has a positive incentive. So uh, it's not just uh, this isn't like uh, he is evil, but it's not just an evil person acting out. He is really trying to force surrenders on these neighborhoods. Um, and uh, the, um, uh, that incentive is going to continue. Now, the truth is some of these neighborhoods have surrendered. So it's not like every neighborhood doesn't surrender. So, but we're dealing with neighborhood-level surrenders where there will be more in the coming months. This will not be over any time in the next couple of weeks. And he doesn't use gas every single day. Um, he's been using these gas attacks about once every couple months 
uh, here. So it's not a, uh, you know, a daily occurrence, but it is his, uh, a way for him to yeah. literally smoke out with gas. Uh, these fighters from these neighborhoods, right? Uh, and there, there have been reports that there were over there were over fifty incidents. Uh, it is the most recent incidents that we where we have video uh, that prompted the president uh, to respond. And so, a question that I would ask uh, as an American citizen, knowing that there's a civil war going on over there, uh, is there a possibility that some of these gas attacks? They're not either as bad as they appear, or could they be manufactured? Could the videos be manufactured to get the response of the President of the United States and the free world? And that it's basically just one side in the Civil War uh, utilizing those pictures so that the uh, the rest of the West, uh, you know, attacks someone that uh, Assad, who they are fighting on the ground. Is that, is that uh, well, too convoluted answer, to think answer, that could happen? Is that it is, it, it, yes, no, it is not convoluted, Bruce. So I study ISIS videos, 1,700 ISIS <clears throat> videos. ISIS has a, a Studio Pro, Photoshop. They're able to crop, they're able to edit their videos to manipulate them. That's why when we uh, uh, look for intelligence, we're looking not just at video, we should. We're, we're, we want to find soil samples. We want to find communications intelligence um, with, with uh, Assad's actual uh, forces uh, ordering the attacks. We want to actually find the um, uh, the uh, uh, the links uh, directly to Russian companies that might have provided the precursor chemicals for these attacks. Um, this is what we've done in the past, by the way, uh, when we want to really show the evidence uh, for what's behind uh, events uh, here. Um, but that's not what the Trump administration is doing. Uh, they're basically behaving as if there's no reason to show the actual core evidence. Um, and this is a problem because this is what's creating the opportunity for uh, Putin and for Assad to simply say, no, 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 that's not true. Something's happening here, but it's not us. Um, and it's because we're not presenting the kind of evidence um, that we, uh, we, we normally do. Um, the, the, um, the French, uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to read it, uh, they released an intelligence report yesterday. Um, it provides some evidence, but it's just the same level of the video. There's no soil samples. There's no communication intercepts. Um, this is what we provide. Um, it's not, it's true. It's usually classified, but it's also true we declassify it. And so uh, by not doing that, we're giving uh, Putin propaganda opportunities. Um, and this is uh, not driving a wedge between Putin and Assad. That's what we should be doing. We should use our intelligence mm -hmm. advantage to drive a wedge between Putin and Assad. How would and we, we do that, Bob? What, 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 what should we do? Give us an example of how we drive a wedge between uh, uh, Assad and Putin. Yeah, so in um, uh, September 2013, uh, following a, stereo, a similar incident where Assad used uh, poison gas, nerve gas, uh, you'll remember we did not launch 100 uh, cruise missiles. Instead, uh, what, the, uh, what the Obama administration did is they spent about a month um, in the U.N. showing all the, declass all the classified information, maybe not all, but quite a bit, of soil samples 
um, they took um, um, actual uh, communications intelligence and, and declassified. And what that did is it made it impossible for Putin um, to side with Assad. He essentially had to cooperate with us while we got rid of thousands and thousands of tons of chemical weapons that Assad had. Uh, that was driving a wedge between Putin and Assad that took years, it took a, a long time for uh, uh, Assad to recover from. One last question. We're running. Before. We're running out of. We're running out of time here, Bob. But I want to talk this. Ask you this question, and that is, uh, what is our strategic interest in Syria? Why should we care about Syria at all? We should care so that ISIS 2.0 doesn't rise from the ashes. Um, we have a fundamental problem uh, following the Iraq War in 2003, Bruce, which is. We broke the governance structures of Iraq, which then uh, created ungoverned space for al-Qaeda in Iraq, a Sunni group, to become a major threat. Then uh, that produced a spillover with uh, the Arab Spring and broke a large part of uh, Syria apart. Um, and that produced ISIS, which was a group of Iraqi Sunnis and a group of Syrian Sunnis. Now we face a problem that parts of Turkey are coming apart. So in the future, if we just let this thing go and don't do anything at all, the problem we face is we could have an ISIS 2.0 that's Iraqi, that's Syrian Sunni, and maybe even Turkish uh, uh, Sunni. Uh, this is a much bigger, this would be a much bigger problem than the ISIS that we've just rolled back. And what should we be doing about the, the Kurds? We should not be, um, we, just, we should not, we should be preventing or deterring uh, Erdogan, that's the, um, uh, the leader of Turkey, mm -hmm. uh, from smashing the Kurds because that's going to push the Kurds into the arms of the next anti-American terrorist group. Uh, when we stood aside, the big, one of the big problems Obama did in 2011 to 13, is we stood aside while the, while the Iraqi uh, government, a Shia government, smashed uh, a lot of Sunni tribes who were working with us. And that just pushed them right into the hands of what became ISIS. So if we stand aside and let those Kurds who worked with us, who bled for us, to get rid of ISIS, if we just stand aside and let them get smashed, why won't they just run right to ISIS and make us pay? Roberto Montano has got a comment. Professor, I, 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 we, I agree with you totally. I think there's a danger in declaring victory and disengaging. This ISIS 2.0, the way you said it, just makes it all very clear. But what, what, how can we engage the Kurds and, and, and do that in, in reconciliation with our NATO allies of Turkey? Like, how do we get there from here? Uh, we handle it the same way we did with the Kurds in Iraq. Mm, Northern uh, Alliance, we right. form limited protection zones that do not end up spilling over to threaten Turkey. Uh, we do this in a way that we're essentially um, providing confidence for both the Kurds and the Turks that things are not going to spin out of control and uh, you won't have these Kurds in Syria working with the Kurds in Iraq to break Turkey apart. What we want to do is we essentially want to stabilize the status quo, and that's the role we can play. 
That doesn't mean we have to have a giant army there, but it does mean we have to play a role of stabilizing um, here, and we can then assure, play, have a role in assuring both sides um, that uh, they uh, do not have to get bigger still in order to gain uh, uh, security for themselves. And if we walk away, then those preemptive cycles are just going to take on a life of their own. Got it. Professor Pape, we thank you very much for joining us this evening. Robert Pape has joined us for the last couple of segments on Beyond the Bellway. He is a political science professor at the University of Chicago and founder and director of the Chicago Project on Security and Terrorism. And he's authored numerous books, including Bombing to Win, Dying to Win, and Cutting the Fuse, in which he has looked at every single suicide bomb that's ever occurred and he's the go-to guy on suicide bombing and also air power and the use of it in the united states thanks very much bob for being with us we will continue with beyond the beltway live from chicago shortly bruce dumont back in chicago we've gone all the way through this broadcast and we haven't mentioned james comey he has a new book out in case in case you've been under a rock and don't know that uh, tonight, uh, he will continue his uh, onslaught of publicity. Uh, he will do a one-on-one interview for one hour at uh, 9 o'clock Central Time uh, with uh, George Stephanopoulos on ABC. And uh, we will all leave this uh, broadcast this evening to go home and uh, watch it and take notes and record it and uh, commit it to, uh, to memory. Um, you have mentioned uh, several times this evening, uh, Mike Miller, that uh, you are not a fan of uh, Donald Trump's. You didn't vote for Donald Trump, although you tend to be more of a, a conservative mm-hmm. uh, than and, than most at the, around the table. Ryan would put himself in that category as well. Um, what do you make of James Comey? And will will this book, is this book going to change anyone's mind, or is it just going to reinforce the warring sides to, to to view him either as the worst thing that's ever walked the face of the earth or this, uh, you know, you know, teller of truths. I was under the impression that he was a, a straight shooter and was to be respected, I think partly because I also respected always the FBI. And his actions show that he was politicized and that he was not a very good manager. And he's petty. And, and the book has these examples that I have heard. I haven't read the book because it isn't out yet, technically, uh, it, of his pettiness, talking about the size of somebody's hands and the color of their hair and, and whether or not they wear goggles when they go to the uh, tanning booth. I, I just uh, – it, and what's the thing that surprised me, again, people lose their principles when they hate Donald Trump. All you have to do is listen to a litany of people attacking Comey from the Democratic side and demanding that he be fired, and he's a monster, and so forth. And all of a sudden now, oh, you've got to listen to Comey. I, it, I, I, you, things have become so polluted. I, I don't, uh, I, I, but I'm, I'm disappointed in him. I, I think that he uh, is a political animal much more Julia, than he should have been. Uh, question to you. You are a card-carrying uh, uh, liberal tonight, Democrat, strong supporter of Hillary Clinton, and... Uh, uh, once upon a time, uh, you had him probably at the top of your uh, political pinata list because of what he did. Him, Comey. Comey, Comey. Mm. Uh, we we know how you feel about Donald Trump. <laughs> you shared that, but uh, most Democrats reviled this guy. Uh, so I want to be nuanced in how we talk about this, as I generally like to be in most things. I don't think it's fair to say that Democrats reviled 
Jim Comey. I think what is fair to say is that we lost our minds when he reopened the investigation into her emails with mere days to go in the election. Right. Uh, that is absolutely a true statement. Um, and I, I got to say, uh, I myself wrote an editorial about how he had just you know, ruined his career by doing such an unethical, unethical thing. Um, in a little bit, the light of a little bit more history, I think what we can see is that he was in a tough spot. And as Mike said before, and I agreed with him when he said it before, um, people who come into contact with this president tend to um, reveal the worst of themselves. And I think that Jim Comey is a very good example of that. I think that it wasn't entirely Trump's fault. The political atmosphere as a whole in this country has been increasingly hostile and partisan and but when you But when you, when you were yeah. upset with him, yep. Donald Trump wasn't the president. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump was not elected. Right. I mean, the point is, 11 days before the campaign, he decided to, to, to thrust himself back into the campaign yep. when he said he was going to reopen the investigation into Hillary uh, and, and her, her right. email service. So he didn't have to do that. And by the way, in, the, in one excerpt that I saw earlier today, which will be part of the total interview that everybody can see at 9 o'clock tonight, I think one of the weakest parts of, of all these clips that I've seen thus far is the convoluted, tortured way in which he tried to explain to George Stephanopoulos of why he did that to Hillary Clinton. It made no sense. He said, "He said we thought that she was going to be president. Well, that's a political decision. I don't think that it's and fair the, to say the that other that's a political is, decision. I think what, I, I, so I want to respond to a couple of things. It wasn't a political decision when, that, that, no. that appeared to be why he made the decision I, I, to so release I, I, it. I, I because he wanted to, he allegedly wanted to protect her against no. charges that she was a, an illegitimate president that's if that came out. That's what he said in the interview. So I, Listen I, carefully tonight. Right. So I want to I be, again, I want to be nuanced about this. Um, so a couple of things. First of all, you said that he, um, you said that he, he felt as though he had to uh, release her emails. And I want to make the point that I've not heard any of the commentary, much of it, um, in the, the, since the book's been released, reminding us that the rank and file of the FBI were rumored to be threatening an all-out mutiny if he didn't reopen the investigation into her emails. So we, we in, in attempting to evaluate his decision, we need to remember the climate at the time. And when he said that he was mindful of the fact that Hillary Clinton was probably going to be elected, well, most of the country thought that Hillary Clinton was going to be elected. And I don't think that he made his decision in, because what, what, what the spin doctors on the far right are attempting to insinuate is that he made that decision in an attempt to somehow affect the outcome of the election. I think that's completely false. What is true I I, I, I've never said that. No, never I don't think that. you said but that, the, but many but, of the commentators have. Go ahead. The, the other part of it, though, is going back to the first uh, uh, thrusting himself into the campaign, when he came out as an investigator, not as, uh, not as the Justice Department, mm-hmm. when he came out and, and, and said that, they had come, that his people had come to the conclusion that Hillary should not be indicted and then proceeded to just trash her, Mm-hmm. I mean, he gave the Republicans more ammunition yep. to tear her down. He didn't have to do that. It, that, right. that was totally something that That's... an FBI agent, uh, certainly a, a director, never did. He commented on opening statements. And by the way, when we, when we go back and listen to the tapes of this show for almost a two-month period, every single Democrat we had on this program said he was a horrible guy, how he had abused his position. 
and how he thrust himself in and did all kinds of things that were against Justice Department rules. Yeah, we had I, former I, U.S. attorneys couldn't they were they were you know their jaws dropped. I, I think you know, he, he's, he's, a, he's a flawed human being. But I think very and go, much and, so. And going back to the point though about you know my, my assertion that uh, that the, that you know proximity to Donald Trump brings out the worst in people. And your response: Well, Donald Trump wasn't president yet. That's correct. However, if we recall, there was already an ongoing investigation into Donald Trump. So at the time that Comey made his decision about what to do with Hillary's emails, he had already seen information about Donald Trump that I believe to this day is still classified that we don't know about. In the dossier, which he said... Oh, yeah. Well beyond which, the dossier. Which, no, but well beyond the he dossier. He said it was not... There was, they, they could not verify it. Ryan Yantis, I want to get, I want to get everybody's attention yeah. and reaction to uh, uh, James Comey and, and what you will be looking forward to tonight is as you watch the interview. Well, I'm going to be driving back to my home tonight, oh, will you listen so to it I'll, on the I'll radio. listen to it. Uh, as a historian, you know, people write books for a reason, and the historiography of Mr. Comey and his book is yeah. to put his mark out and say, this is yeah. who I am, this is what I did, this is why I did it. Right. And we're all talking about excerpts and snippets from uh, various news interviews. Uh, agreed. He's a flawed individual. Everybody is flawed. Um, the The role that Mr. McCabe played as one of uh, Mr. Comey's uh, direct reports, uh, that has me very troubled. Uh, the New York Times reported that the Inspector General report from the FBI uh, was very, very uh, negative on Mr. McCabe's performance mm-hmm. and uh, his lack of candor, which means lying. If the leadership is broken in an organization, if it has been politicized, if there are questions about them putting their thumbs on the scale for one party or the other, regardless of party, we're a nation of laws. That's not supposed mm-hmm. to happen. Right. And the damage to the FBI was not done by Trump or uh, by Ms. Clinton or anybody else. It was done by these gentlemen and others right. who broke their oath to the American people. There's That's no, wrong. There, there is no question that, that uh, the firing of McCabe a couple of weeks ago yeah. by the Attorney General was absolutely the right decision. And again, I think the firing of James Comey by President Trump was the absolute correct decision. Because there's no yeah. way based on, based, on what the, based on what the President knew then yeah. there were questions about him. And now everything that has hit the fan in retaliation against the president uh, because he got fired is it, it it says who the guy is as you say he's a he's a small time guy yeah. he really is a small time guy well and, and you know mr comey even though he's 6 feet 8 mr comey <laughs> and, and his uh his yoga like uh twisting on trying to figure out how to explain why he did this oh, yeah. announcement right before the election uh is on par with the the vietnam spokesman who said we had to destroy the village to save it right and it's just one of those counterintuitive, lacks the, the consistency of logic. And uh, it's going to be an interesting scenario to watch play out. Yeah. Roberto, your response. I think the real attack here is on law enforcement. I think this is a, I'm not saying he's perfect, but it's an attempt to discredit him. Um, you know, you don't go that hard after somebody calling him a slime ball unless you are afraid of that guy, I think. Like, and, and if you're the president of the United States... He's called people yeah, slime balls before. Well, well, he's... I mean, fine. You want to... We, we've lowered the bar already, yes. But I think that he was particularly perturbed by this. And I think that he's nervous because of Cohen. I think he's nervous about uh, Manafort, uh, National Security Advisor. Like, there is a pattern here yeah. that seems to be unraveling. And Comey, he's not even the main event here. Mm-hmm. Um, Cohen is what's going on now. I think Mueller has set it up in such a way that no matter what happens, whether he's fired or not, there's evidence out there that's been captured. Mm-hmm. 
And you know, Comey, we're, we're gonna we're gonna forget about Comey. What we I, what we ought to concern ourselves with is this Cohen gentleman, and where is he going to fall in in this drama? That and beyond that, what I, what I said earlier is that it's. it's Jim Comey is a flawed person. He made a number of different judgment calls. History will play it out. But I think the much more important thing to talk about is the reaction that the President of the United States is having in response to that. And I disagree that it was the right thing to do to fire him because the President's reason to fire him was not the things that he had done wrong, perhaps legitimately. The reason for firing him is because Donald Trump didn't want to be investigated. No, no the, reason he was, the reason he was fired, which were the reasons given by Rosenstein uh, yeah. at the time and the Attorney General, was that all uh, all the missteps and and the uh, the abuse that he used and demonstrated when he was the FBI director. He told Lester Holt he was thinking he about here. Russia. But back shortly from Chicago, I'm Bruce Dumont. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live: The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays, and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago, and again, we're talking about all the problems of the President of the United States, illegal and otherwise, and again, James Comey, who has been a thorn in his side. He will have one hour uninterrupted with uh, George Stephanopoulos at 9 o'clock Central Time tonight, and again, uh, it has already been the talk of, of much of talk radio and the Sunday morning shows, and I would suspect that we're going to have a lot more of it. Uh, uh, he's going to do The View on Thursday, oh, so boy. that's certainly going to raise the, the, the level of discussion mm -hmm. <laughs> An intellectual pursuit uh, when he does that program. But again, uh, he's also going to be making the rounds as well. But uh, again, he's telling, as, as Ryan said, this is, he's telling his side of the story. And uh, the only question that I would have is, and again, he, uh, uh, he's been described by the president as this is a disgruntled former employee. Yes, he is that. And when you are a disgruntled employee, uh, you frequently fight back, especially when you're defining your, your slice of history. But the, the one thing I would always say is that if, if he felt, as when I say uh, he, I mean Comey, if Comey felt as badly as he did towards the president during the conversations they had after Donald Trump was president, James Comey, if he was a man of integrity, he should have quit. Mm -hmm. He should have resigned. But he was harboring all of these things then he got fired, then he saw the light, and then he decided uh, to go before Congress and, and, and uh, give his testimony. So again, uh, I, I don't hold him up as this uh, bastion of, of uh, integrity. And I go back to the, the almost 100% denunciation of Democrats, of James Comey, during the campaign when he introduced himself twice ingested himself twice into that presidential campaign to affect votes. And again, Hillary Clinton, no less a person than Hillary Clinton herself, she thinks that James Comey is the reason she lost her election. She thinks that. So well, I wonder, as she, as she watches this interview tonight, I wonder what she's thinking about James Comey and whether this alleged a Boy Scout who has been portray uh, portrayed as a Boy Scout by some in the media 
is really someone that really should be left, looked up to. Obviously, he's six feet eight, so everybody looks up to him. But whether they should do that in a moral way, we don't know. Well, I think it's absolutely true that uh, now there's, there's multiple reasons that uh, Hillary, that the election turned out the way that it did. But given where things were at on October 27th or whatever the day was that he opened the investigation, 100 uh, percent momentum was in Clinton's favor. Had had Comey not reopened that election on that day, it is we, we don't have crystal balls, but it's really likely that Hillary Clinton would have won that election. Uh so it, it, she's right about that. But I think the, the important thing that we were starting to talk about before the last commercial is not so much what Comey did or didn't do, but in my opinion, the much more important thing to talk about is the response of the President of the United States as well as his entire administration. Um, I, I listened to Jay Johnson uh, yesterday on Preet Bharara's podcast saying that he can't wrap his mind around the fact that any President of the United States is denigrating the government of which he, of which he represents He's to the American public. He's not denigrating the government. He's not denigrating the FBI. The FBI is filled with thousands or tens of thousands of people who love America, who do their job. However, and you should be the first to point it out, there are people in all administrations, in all levels of administrations, that are no good. They're rotten to the core. And I will say before... James Comey is the worst FBI director ever, ever, because look what he started. He started legitimate questioning of the FBI. He surrounded himself with Andrew McCabe. I mean, this, 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 this agency of the government that was on a pedestal of integrity, it, it, it doesn't mean anything now. The people that are losing out are the great FBI agents who were doing their jobs because they had guys at the top who were who literally were slum balls, slime balls. They really were. That's not the heart of what's going on because the president of the United States is not making the distinction that you just did. The president consistently I think he is does it all making, the time. I think draws he, a distinction. He I, absolutely does that. When was the last I, time that the president tweeted about how great the most of the FBI is? I think He's not he, doing that at all. He's I trying think, to eliminate think, anything uh, no, that can hold power no, no, against no, no, him. No, I think he has done that before, and I think he has singled out the leadership. Again, when he does his rallies, he talks about the good, the vast majority of the good FBI agents. But the, you know, they're, they're bad apples. You know, there are bad apples in our police forces. We we know that. As a liberal, you 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 criticize sometimes all in police forces when it's when it's bad apples in the police force. I mean, that exists. As someone said, no, nobody is perfect. But again, th- this this is a guy when you have when, when you have. Someone at the top who's, who's lying and who's leaking. I mean, there's no question. That you're he, referring to Donald Trump even, there, right? He, no, the no, lying and the no, leaking? No, no, no. I'm no. talking. James Comey, under testimony, he acknowledged that he had spread the information about the conversation with the president. He told the friend because he wanted the friend and he told the friend to go to the media. Now, that's leaking. Now I got to tell you, the FBI's reputation has been built on leaks. Let's be let's be honest here, okay? So no one should be no one should be shocked that the FBI leaks information. They leak all the time. There's a big to difference make themselves between, look between good leakers and, to put other people and whistleblowers. What, what Jim Comey did was an attempt to uh, pre- was to, to stop the President of the United States from successfully obstructing justice. That's a principled, high That's purpose only, for doing it. That, that is your opinion 
It's not based on any fact. If you have the ability and the power to fire the head of the FBI, which the president did, he did it. And now, and because he did it now, every word that comes out of the mouth of James Comey should be suspect. He is a disgruntled employee. He is petty. We're going we're gonna to see more of it in a one-hour interview coming up. Again, he's going to sell lots of books. But I just wonder, who are the people that are really going to just be excited about him? Because I don't think... Now, no one on the right is excited about him anymore. And I can't believe there's many people who were certainly Hillary Clinton supporters are supportive of this guy. I wonder who his constituency is that's going to make this a bestseller. Our thanks to our guests this evening. We thank you very much. I want to thank Dan Dorfman. I want to thank Sam Greenberg for the assistance in the production of this program. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays, and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com.